to accept it. Okay. And we're good to go. Good evening, right. guys. How's everyone doing today? You're listening to AJK Health, Fitness and Business for another episode of Season 1. I'm your host, Ali Khan, named after the boxer, Muhammad Ali. Right jab, left hook, let's go. My, my dad's a big boxing fan. I've said this before as well. I'm going to say it again. Uh, I love boxing. So does, so does my dad and he named me after him. So that's an easy way to remember who I am. So listen to AJK Health, Fitness and Business. The podcast is about three things, mental health, physical health, and success in the world of business. If you don't have the first two, you can't get the third and you need the third as well. And when you have all three, the world becomes your oyster. Um, I invite people from all walks of life, in particular, though, from entrepreneurship, business and finance, because I love all of this stuff, uh, not to give share their, uh, share their insights and give opinions about what they think, what they think about the world, how you can achieve your goals and dreams and how you can start believing in yourself. So with that brief introduction as well, who do I have today? Guys, today I have a very interesting guest with me, just like always. Uh, his name is Nolan Foster. Uh, I, got, I got in touch with him a few weeks ago, a few days ago, actually. And he, he's the mo- he does the most interesting thing, which is why I got in touch and reached out. Get this. He's a cryptocurrency hedge fund manager. Not just any hedge fund manager, but a cryptocurrency hedge fund manager. He actually attended the same college as me, Franklin and Marshall. And he went on to found his own company, I believe, Gumbo LLC. And to that, he, uh, he works as a, as a hedge fund manager. And I asked him to describe what that is as well. And it's a very interesting description of how it actually works to have multiple funds and stuff. But I'm going to let Nolan elaborate on that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about what, we, what to expect in this episode. We're going to be talking about cryptocurrency hedge fund management. Nolan is an entrepreneur because he founded his own company and an investor and finance guy. So we're going to be talking about both those things and the challenges that come about when we bring them together. So working as an entrepreneur and an investor, uh, cryptocurrency, hedge fund management, and uh, thoughts on the markets today during COVID. And then, and we're going to kick it off from there. Um, so Nolan, first of all, uh, how are you doing today? Pleased to have you on. Oh, I'm, I'm excellent today, Ali. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Let me say on the behalf of the listeners and myself as well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you recently started your company. Uh, you're a busy guy and uh, taking the time out to talk to me and share your insights with everyone as well. So uh, right off the bat, can you give us a brief insight into what Gumbo LLC is? How and why did you start it? And we're going to go from there. Who you are? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'll tell you, Nolan Foster. I'm named after Nolan Ryan, the uh, famous pitcher from the Mets and a few other teams. So uh, both of our fathers seem to have had the uh, sports memorabilia in mind when they were naming uh, their sons. Um, yeah, so Gumbo LLC, I, I started it. Now, there's a lot of moments where I could say I really understood what I wanted to do or, you know, uh, exactly why I chose this industry. But I have to say the most uh, obvious or compelling thing was I saw an interview with Jeff Bezos when he first started Amazon. Uh, and in this interview, he said that the internet, that when he started uh, Amazon, the internet was growing at a rate of 2,300% per year, the internet, right? And so he needed to build a business that fit that model. And that was Amazon selling things online. When I saw the statistics behind cryptocurrency, and how quickly this industry was growing, 
I knew that I had to create a business model that fit this industry. Now I could have potentially created a cryptocurrency product or, you know, there's a bunch of other things out there, but a cryptocurrency hedge fund takes advantage of all cryptocurrencies, all potential opportunities, and it maximizes and seizes the ability to fund and perpetuate uh, projects within this space in the most forward profitable way possible. Or even if things go south, you can always take a short position. So here's the thing, right? You said you were listening to, and, and I think that's a great way to start and a great introduction about why you started and what the background there was, uh, the reasoning to st for starting Gumbo LLC and the cryptocurrency hedge fund. Here's the question. You said you started when you heard Jeff Bezos talk about, talk about how fast internet was growing when he started Amazon and he needed a business model to fit that description or that, that, that growth, uh, that industry. So here's the thing though, uh, the counter argument to that would be that right after he started five or six years, there was the dot-com crash because uh, the, there was a bubble forming, right? So you said that cryptocurrency was growing just at like at even more of a staggering rate. So isn't that a sign of a bubble as well? Did you consider that? Isn't there a risk Absolutely. that go down as quickly as it goes up? Absolutely. 100% so agree that uh, what comes up must go down. But there is the progressing theory that if it is valuable, it will down the road be more valuable than it is worth now. With the dot-com bubble, what you now see is that that bubble's uh, for a while now has been reversed, essentially. It's, it's well, not reversed, but um, it's, it's climbed high enough that all of that, uh, that big drawdown is, is gone. So you're actually starting to see investors. I mean, I'm sure there's some investors who've held this entire time, right? Maybe I'm sure there was that one guy that bought at the peak of the dot-com bubble and then, uh, and then held it all the way to the bottom. And then he still owns it now. Well, that guy made money finally. Uh, and so what we're starting to see is that even though industry, you know, in, this industry is so new because it's an age of, you know, information and technology, information travels fast. So the price changes very quickly relative to that. Cryptocurrency is no stranger. Uh, although the industry was, and I got into the industry around 2016. So when 2017 came, you saw a Bitcoin at $1,000. At the end of the year, it was 20000 And altcoins, uh, you know, comparatively went from 1000 to 80000 uh, you know, in the same time span. And then you saw everything crash. I mean, everything crashed 80, 90, 99%, some of it. Mm -hmm. But yet now, some of it's recovered. In fact, a lot of it's recovered. Bitcoins went from 20,000 all the way down to 3,000. And then again, just last year to 14,000. And right now it sits at 10,000. Yep. So, so that, yeah, yeah, he's going. Yeah. Volatility aside, I think that despite the market having bubbles, I think it's instances where investors are becoming informed, getting a little greedy, right? And then pulling back because they're learning. And I think they learned in 2017 when the great crypto crash uh, for the third time had progressed uh, as it so, had in years prior. So that was the third time that a crypto bubble burst, right? Now, was that a Bitcoin bubble or a crypto bubble? Crypto bubble. It was industry wide. I mean, 20, Bitcoin was at 20,000. It went down to 3,000. There were some uh, altcoins that were at, you know, extremely high USD valuations and then are now gone just wiped okay. out completely. So it was a definable, that was definitely one of the, you know, a bubble uh, that was widespread across the cryptocurrency market for sure.
Now, I have a few questions about cryptocurrency, and we're going to get that get to that in a minute. In particular, I had a few listeners. Yeah. Or I started the before uh, we did the show right now. I uh, I promoted the show as well, and I, I had a few listeners that had a few questions about cryptocurrency. But we're going to get to that in a minute as we. Uh, uh, yeah, before we get to that, though, let me take you. Uh, so let, let's take a step back and talk about hedge fund management. So um, let me take you back and ask you this. Uh, and I ask this of everyone, everyone that's pursuing a career in finance in particular, because I have an interest in that, but otherwise as well. Why and how did you find your passion? When did you realize that you love finance and you want to, I want to, when did you realize that I want to cre- create a, a, go into this field and become a hedge fund manager, you know? Yeah. So, I want to do a lot of things and I still do. Uh, I'd love an engineering degree. I'd love a, uh, I'd love a degree in most things, to be honest. I'm very passionate about a lot of things. I enjoy doing a lot of things. The problem I found was I don't know which one to do first. If I want to do 10 things, how do I decide which one to do? So I chose the passion project that had the most uh, creativity and financial gain available in the sort of shortest time span with the appropriate amount of risk. And that landed on hedge fund manager uh, because the wealth gen- generated would help if it, um, successful will helpfully, you know, spur uh, other businesses and other interests and allow me to, you know, get whatever the, you know, American dream is, you know, my little cabin in the woods, so to speak. Uh, and the way to achieve that was not necessarily through a 40 hour a week job that I do until I'm 65 and then retire. I wanted to realize that dream a little bit sooner. And so I had to pick an avenue that was accessible to me, but not just accessible, profitable, and also had extreme growth. Now, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer when I first came to FNM because, again, the legal industry actually has some pretty impressive growth metrics. Uh, it pays very well. And it's also very attainable. You go to college and then you go to law school and you study hard and you know, you're, you have a good avenue to attain that salary that you're desiring to retire by 65. And if you're a lawyer, maybe you can retire by uh, 50 instead, uh, you know, sort of an astute profession. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was an even faster industry was finance. And so I switched from being a lawyer and I committed myself to learning the financial arts, so to speak. Uh, and I found that passion through trial and error. Trial and error. <laughs> oh, so, uh, goodness. Trial and error all day long. As much as you can fail as quickly as you can and as often as you can because it is revealing. Making what sort decisions. of things did you try? Exactly. Uh, so I, I explored the legal profession for a while. Um, and I would, uh, you know, I'd take like practice LSAT tests and stuff like that. And I realized that all I needed to be passing was a knowledge, uh, you know, a book learning. Uh, the challenge there was remembering what the book said with investment industry. You could know exactly what the book says and you're still not guaranteed to succeed. It's the Mm -hmm. only industry where effort does not correlate to success. You could, uh, 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 maybe you've heard of the famous example, Ali, the cat that beat the market. They had a team of stock professionals versus a cat. Uh, you know, the, the stock professionals picked a portfolio of stocks and the cat randomly swatted at the screen. This, the cat won <laughs> uh-huh. because it is a bit of 
gambling involved. So the skill doesn't have to necessarily come from the what you're investing in or what you're selling. The the passion that I found came from the uh, ethereal stuff surrounding it. When you're sitting at a poker table, you're reading faces. You're communicating with the other players. You're putting off faces that other people can read. There's a lot of hidden meaning because the card's already set. The market is already set. And so it's all the other stuff that I found fascinating and interesting. And, all, there's, yeah. yeah. There's almost a thrill that comes with, uh, with the trying to beat the market as well, right? You're putting that effort in, you're analyzing the statements and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, you also have to, there's an element of risk involved that you don't see in any other profession. And the thrill that almost comes with that, in my opinion as well, really makes you that much more hooked or interested in it. Now, I wouldn't use the word gambling per se, right? Because yeah. there's something to be said about research and analyzing the statement. Warren Buffett would just be just completely disagree with that statement, <laughs> yes. in my opinion, value investing. But I but I can see that and I think and I agree with that. The 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 interest and the growth and, and the the here's the thing, right? The sky's the limit. Every yeah. other profession there's a ceiling, but in investing and finance, there it is, and you can make sixteen billion dollars, you can make eighty billion, but you can also lose everything. That's where the that, that was, that's what, in my opinion, gives it that flavor, you know? Exactly. So, it, is the, it is the most advanced form of, of uh, interpersonal war that we have, I think. Gambling is a form of war. You're competing against other people for a, a prize, if, if you catch my meaning. Sports are often sort of a, a form of war, quote-unquote. Investing is just like that it's a form of war it's about being the smartest on the battlefield uh rather than just performing a function uh-huh. you can be a soldier but soldiers can perish even if you're a good soldier even if your side wins there's still a lot more that goes into it that you can't control that gives it an edge that gives it some risk but it also gives it a lot of interest and so i found my passion uh lied in that interesting field so tell me this, Nolan, uh, once you realized your passion that you wanted going to finance, after that you attended Franklin and Marshall College and then you went from there. And then you went on to found your company, uh, Gumbo LLC and a crypto hedge fund. Here's the question that I have. Um, crypto hedge fund, right? And I, 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 I was reading about the Winklevoss twins, the ones that got into hedge fund management very early on. For the listeners that don't know about the Winklevoss twins, they're the people that got robbed um, by Zuckerberg in terms yes. of Facebook, uh, by the way. Uh, so they went into uh, cryptocurrency and they found it to be a very, um, as uh, Nolan pointed out, a very lucrative, undervalued and ignored industry. So they tried to establish a mutual fund, but SEC denied that. And then you went on and created a hedge fund for cryptocurrency. How did how did you go about that? I thought they were illegal. And yes. what, what's the difference there? So uh, the big misconceptions that lie within the cryptocurrency industry um, typically come from largely a governmental place, and we'll talk about the uh, SEC in a second here. Uh, but with the Winklevoss twins, or the Winklevi, the, the, the Gemini twins, uh, they tried to start a, and a few have, a cryptocurrency ETF. So the difference was that an ETF has a lot different regulation than many other investment products. Because an exchange-traded fund is um, a lot more active than just a mutual fund. So, you know, let's talk about this. What's the difference between an ETF, a hedge fund, and a mutual fund, right? I describe them like, you could use planes, you could use cars, we'll use boats. 
a mutual fund is like a boat, a ferry boat. Everybody can get on the ferry and it goes round in circles and you don't really have much of a worry about it capsizing, right? You're never on a ferry and you're like, oh, this is going to, I'm going to drown on this boat, right? It's pretty, pretty safe, safe, right? Low fees, easy, easily accessible. Anyone can get on it, right? A hedge fund is more like whitewater rafting. You got six people in an inflatable raft in the middle of a rocky river and it's violent and everybody's already wearing a helmet and they're already wearing a life vest, yet there's still no guarantee of safety. More people are going to die whitewater rafting than they are going to on a ferry boat. And uh, exchange traded fund is a bit more like a whitewater rafting uh, excursion, except the difference is that it, the river is not as volatile and that you have a tour guide who knows what they're doing. And they are guiding you through the entire step of the way and you just put all your faith in them. That's basically what you know, the ETF would be uh, in comparison to this. The reason that didn't get approved was because the SEC's job, and I'll actually talk about this uh, uh, a fair bit. Um, do you know who, uh, you, you know, SEC Commissioner, uh, uh, what's her name? Hester Pierce, I think her name is. I've heard of her, yeah. You've heard of her. She's lovingly referred to as crypto mom. She loves cryptocurrency in the sense that she understands its purpose, what it's here for, and its relation to other stocks and financial vehicles. Uh, she's recently said that the SEC's job is mainly to protect investors from themselves, meaning if the SEC had it their way, nobody would be able to invest in anything because then you could lose money. So their job's not to maximize potential up, uh, you know, uh, uh, upside. Their job is to minimize people losing money, meaning they basically <laughs> try to make everything as strict as possible for everyone else. Cryptocurrency, being only 11 years old, is still in its infancy. So an ECF was a bit ambitious, I think. Uh, something that formal, something that conformative to the traditional financial model that we have in the United States. Cryptocurrency doesn't quite fit that bill nor do I think should it. So here's the thing, a couple of things you pointed out there. First of all, with the analogy about the mutual fund, hedge fund, and the ETF, right? I agree with the analogy for the hedge fund and the mutual fund, mutual fund being that ferry, which is very safe, hedge fund being like a, like a white water river rafting thing. Uh, about the ETF, so here's the thing about ETFs, exchange traded funds, they, they follow the indexes, right? S&P, yeah. NASDAQ, Dow Jones. What I would say there is that you don't even have a guide. It's like you're in this in this slow moving boat, which is just going to follow the stream, you know, and wherever it goes. And more often than not, though, the streams, it's like you're in a lake, you're like, like you're fishing. You know what I mean? It's going to be very safe. Here's the thing about the S&P 500. It's never going to fail because if there's any company that's failing, they're just going to take it out, replace it with something else. Yep. Like you're just fishing over there and eventually you're just sitting there, you're sitting there, you're going to catch something. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's what I would say about that. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it even has a guide with it. It's just you're just sitting there. Um, now, the thing about the, the Winklevoss twins, you said that they didn't try to find a, found a, a mutual fund. They tried to found an ETF. So do you think they would have succeeded if they tried for a mutual fund, like a hedge fund? Uh, there already are trusts and some uh, mutual funds, quote unquote, although money investment vehicles essentially do the same thing. They oftentimes have different names. Uh, there's a few a few trusts out there. There's uh, Galaxy Crypto and Grayscale Digital. Uh, they essentially provide trusts for people to invest in crypto institutions in a much more formal fashion than would otherwise be allowed to um 
uh, normal uh, investment uh, investors. So they created sort of a, a little bit of a niche market in the institutional crypto space in that they simply buy assets on the behalf of other uh, or on institutions and individuals. So basically as close as you can get to a mutual fund. Um, although with cryptocurrency, you don't really need a mutual fund because it is such a small space. Most people just do it themselves and it, it's a little cheaper or it can potentially be a little cheaper just doing it yourself. Um, so most people will just, you know, look at a mutual fund, see what it's holding, a crypto mutual fund, see what's holding, buy it themselves. Same thing as with stocks. You could just, you know, buy the stocks yourself. The difference is the rebalancing. You know, mutual funds do it automatically. Uh, and rebalancing for, you know, whoever doesn't know is, is uh, uh, taking positions that are doing well and taking their profits and allocating them towards the positions that are doing uh, not as well basically keeping everything balanced. So a mutual fund basically just auto rebalances the index fund. And there's already quite a bit of those. People do them themselves. There's a few cryptocurrency versions. So they're there. People just don't know about them is the thing, I think. Why do you think people don't know about them? Wouldn't people want to like market that sort of stuff aggressively because crypto is a very hot stock. Even nowadays, people really run after crypto. Yeah, people, uh, something that's running hot, crypto being one of those things, uh, well, we could actually take, well, let's take a sports athletes for a reason. People don't think that somebody's going to have a chance. A, a, people will think somebody has a worse chance after they've just won mm -hmm. than if they haven't won yet. Because you, you know, it's sort of it's confirmation bias or rather sort of the opposite of confirmation bias where, oh, well, this has been doing good. So it, it will likely do bad because of, you know, whatever rationale people go by. Uh, so with cryptocurrency, because it's had a bad rap, it's had a rough history, you know, that, and it's been published in such a way uh, on media and, you know, the government said such things about it that it's definitely a riskier investment just by perception. Now, whether or not it is financially, maybe nobody really knows until, you know, the, uh, the, the course is sung, so to speak. But right now, it's mainly that this has this very negative media attention, I think, that's preventing these things from being as, as widely known. And advertised as well, because the media doesn't latch on to them. They still talk about equities and fixed income or even commodities like gold or silver, but they might not talk about crypto as much because it's, it's that black box, right? You don't want to open it. Yeah. It's like the, like the Pandora's box. <laughs> you open it and everything bad comes out. Um, that might be a misconception. And we're going to get to that in a minute, yep. the misconceptions about crypto. Before we get to that, one more question that I have is about Gumbo LLC and hedge fund management. So here's the thing, and here's why I want to go into private equity or hedge fund management myself. I, I love that stuff. Is because for, to me, I love both entrepreneurship and finance. Right? When people ask me, what do I want to do? I want to be an entrepreneur investor. And with you having founded Gumbo LLC, you're not working for anyone else, but you're also working as a hedge fund manager. So you're still investing in the market, trading, investing, all of that good stuff. So what are the challenges that come about when you work as both an entrepreneur and an investor? What are the big things that you've faced so far and how did you navigate them? Uh, you know? Yeah, so uh, on, the, on the hedge fund manager side, uh, for people interested in the hedge fund space, it's mainly just been a, a learning curve. All the information's available. You just have to spend the time to really self-educate. But the entrepreneurship side, I think the most important thing that, I think people don't talk about this enough, and I'm sure you, you've heard it touched on before, is the, uh, you know, the toll it takes 
on an individual uh, from society and from family and from friends. I think that's just this great unspoken startup entrepreneurial, uh, sorry, entrepreneur uh, mindset that is being basically ignored by society. I think that society should help uplift and perpetuate people who want stigma exactly people think you're crazy for leaving school to go start a business yet some of the most successful businesses were started that way the problem is that society doesn't then support the institution of oh let's you know encourage entrepreneurship let's encourage not conforming to traditional schooling or traditional this or traditional that and instead going for a little bit more you know seeing what you can really get and i think that the hardest part has been um maintaining that I know what I'm doing throughout this whole thing. Cause there's gonna be a lot of doubt, a lot of people saying, you know, uh, doubting you, uh, whether mainly just because you're a new business. So because mm-hmm. you're a new business, people doubt it. And I think the best thing to do is just hold out hope and know that you're doing something right. Here's the thing, right? Here's the big question. Also, cause you started, uh, this, this company early on in life, having not really spent a lot of time in the markets at a job, you know, getting some finances so that you have something to fall back on. How do you deal with the finances, you know, put food on the table, buy an apartment, all of that stuff. When you're, when you're working for yourself, essentially with a startup company, people don't know about you, the revenue isn't coming in. So how do you deal with that? And I ask this, not just for myself, but also for anyone out there that wants to, that's in college, but they want to start a company, but they don't have the finances. You know what I mean? So how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Now I got, now it's, it's interesting. I got lucky and also at the same time compared to other people, much less, I was much less fortunate. Um, so I met and I became very close with uh, an angel investor who saw my work ethic. He saw what I was doing and they wanted to invest. Uh, now, what they invested was comparatively to the finance world, which deals with regularly trillions and billions and millions of dollars, peanuts. But Uh, beggars can't be choosers and entrepreneurs especially cannot be beggars uh especially not choosers and so that was all we needed so uh we found an angel investor they were extremely interested in what we were doing and i was able to get my break quote unquote uh through that interaction and through that meeting but that meeting only happened through um let's say what i was doing was being recognized And if you have a quality product, oftentimes it will be recognized, but you still have to introduce it to people. You still have to sit down with them and say, hey, I have this amazing product. Hey, I have this amazing product. Because they're being being sat down all day, angel investors and such like that. uh, And they're going, here's this horrible product. Here's this horrible product. Here's this horrible product. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, 99% of the time. So to sit them down and just show them the work ethic and the drive and the reason they want to support the business is because of you not because the business itself, that's really what will help make a defining factor for raising these funds. The only reason I was able to really leave and start this life was because of, you know, me making those connections. Uh, But it definitely was the work ethic and not necessarily just the product that helped perpetuate that conversation. So young entrepreneurs looking to get out there, looking, maybe they don't like college. Maybe they're looking, they have an idea for business already. You know, it's going to be their work ethic that, that shows through, you know, their commitment level, how much they're able to dedicate to it, how much time and resources um, that defines an investor's interest in them. Not necessarily just the product. People invest in anything. It's the person. I, I agree with that. It's a matter of hard work, 
persistence and, and grit. But at the same time, and I think one of the most underrated things, and people don't talk about this enough, dude, love what you do. Because when you love yes. it, right, then it doesn't feel like work. It's, it's sort of like watching movies. People can watch movies all day, but they might not study. They might study like 30 minutes and call it quits because they're not in love with what they're doing. But when you love what you do, here's the thing that I tell everyone. I was talking to this one guy the other day, and I told him, he said, do you, uh, what do you do? What do you work on? I said, I don't work. Here's the thing about me. I get the same amount of pleasure from going to 10K and 10Q reports that people get from watching the new movie in a cinema, right? I don't want to watch the, the movie because I'm too busy loving this, you know? And when you do that, it doesn't feel like work. Then you won't, you, you'll never become exhausted because think about it. When you're investing or going to reports, you're not really taxing your body. You're not really getting exhausted physically, but people quit because they don't like what they're doing. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you better you better love what you do because then you can you, it shows i think the conviction shows when i talked to you the other day i could see the conviction in your voice that dude i believe in this i like this i can see it going up you know otherwise you can't convince the other person you can't even convince yourself um here's yeah. the question that i do have nolan and you talked about this angel investor that you got close with and got in touch with how did you find these people that invested in your company um and how do you as a starting business right a business budding out toward the beginning how do you get in touch with people and convince them hey i have a product invest in my company this is a cryptocurrency hedge fund give me your money so that i can multiply it how do you convince them yeah investors and clients yeah so uh with with clients we'll touch on that first because that's a bit easier to explain uh basically with clients they're looking for two things if they're looking to invest in a hedge fund they're looking for specialization or they trust the person managing the fund. Now, hedge funds are allowed to do pretty much anything in the world. They can invest in anything. They can have any strategy they want. It's the most, one of the most diverse financial vehicles and strategies that's available. So an investor will invest in a hedge fund just because of the diversity. They're able to do things that their other investment vehicles cannot. However, getting somebody to invest on the operating side is a little bit more difficult. They have to value your um, initial proposition, of course, for the hedge fund. What's the initial thesis? What's the initial strategy for the hedge fund? What investment principles are you going to uh, follow on and then stick to throughout the process? But the, the main thing that helped sell people for uh, my hedge fund was the proposition of cryptocurrency and where it is in the market, product market fit. Uh, we didn't start this fund because we were underperforming the market. We were running the fund and we we're outperforming the market. And then we decided to get investors and open up the product to other people, make a legal formal entity and all that jazz. So we went product to market and we already had the outperformance. People want to outperform the market. So with hedge funds, it's sort of, a, you know, who's doing best? Let me allocate there. Um, and that sort of leads to uh, uh, investment on that side. But the angel investors... Their, their hardest sort of point of contention is really a lot more personal than people think. Angel investors are individuals, just like you. Corporations are maybe a little less human, but they're still made up of individuals. These people are investing in the craziest things you'd think of. But the thing is, nobody's asking them as much as you'd think. Um, I've only asked a handful of people to invest in my fund and to invest in my company you know, two separate things, expenses versus, uh, you know, direct capital investment. 
But the biggest difference I've seen between these two sects of people, uh, those looking to invest for equity or those looking to invest, uh, you know, as an investment in the fund, uh, was their time span and their goal. An angel investor wanted to invest in cryptocurrency, but they invested in the company instead because they saw us as a vehicle that could perpetuate you know, the cryptocurrency space and uh, gain additional investment and all that jazz. And so they took the risk on the expense side as an angel investor. And somebody who invests in the fund directly, they see the advancement of cryptocurrency being a thing. They believe in our theory. They believe in our product. And they're coming from a consumer mindset. You know, they're basically buying, a, a, you know, like a like any stock, really. Or any, uh, sorry, not so much stock, so much any mutual fund. When they invest with us, we're a product they're purchasing. When somebody invests as an angel investor on the expense side, it's a long-term investment for them. So the, the practices and the principles are very different between viewing the two things. The best advice for getting these two uh, uh, people invested in you is just being as passionate as you can about what you're doing. Because again, these people don't know you. There's a million other people doing something similar to what you're doing, no matter what it is. Somebody's probably doing something similar. What makes you stand out? And all it is, is you. You got to be likable. You got to be personable. They got to know you and they got to trust you more than anything else. It could almost not matter what your product is or what your company is. Marketing and communication with, or sorry, networking and communication with investors is all that's required, I think. For somebody just to start a successful business now whether that business performs is up to them but whether or not they get investors is purely a, a networking thing for sure regardless and, of product. and in terms of investors i think that's a great summary one of the most important things there is that the key point is that with with angel investors in particular people tend to underestimate that personal touch that comes into it when you're trying to convince them to invest in your company that people don't think about. They think it's all about the product and it's all about the value it's going to create. But you also have to get them to trust you, trust in your abilities, your confidence, your competence, your your grit and persistence. That personal touch can go a long way. And at the same time, you also talked about how angel investors are also thinking about it as a consumer. It's sort of like they're investing in it for the long haul, right? And yeah. while it's easier to get consumers on your side, angel investors can be trickier. Here's the question that I have then. Well, it's not easy to get consumers, especially as a budding business. I, I should know that better than most. Um, um, but the, 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 the crux there, the crux of the biscuit, the most important thing with consumers and investors is that you have to be sincere and competent and believe in the product and try to convince them of that as well. It's about who you are as a person. and Because they're investing in you, not necessarily your product. They know you. They don't know your product. Exactly. Uh, the question that I have there is two. First of all, and this is an this is a very quick question to answer, which is why I'm asking this first. Um, for hedge funds, right? It's usually for high net worth individuals. The minimum investment at Pershing Square or Bridgewater Associates is like five hundred thousand to a million dollars. You're also a hedge fund, a cryptocurrency hedge fund. So, what's the minimum investment investment that you guys ask for from clients? Is it for high net worth yeah. individuals as well? Yeah. So, gumbo uh, hedge fund, private equity hedge funds are specifically excluded to accredited investors only. Now, uh, Hester Pierce with the SEC recently, very recently, in fact, maybe even this morning uh, is when I first read about it, uh, are now changing the stance, their perception of accredited investors. So for the viewers that don't know, only accredited investors can invest in 
probably about 50% of the financial market, right? Uh, an accredited investor defined by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, is a individual whose net worth is a million dollars. And they also make at least 200000 a year. So it's a pretty high threshold to be considered an accredited investor, meaning you have to have, you have to be a millionaire to invest in a hedge fund like mine. Um, so the problem that arises from this accredited investor status is with the cryptocurrency community, especially is again, accessibility. You know, you can't invest in the market if you're not rich. However, the SEC has recently changed it to information. How educated are you about the market? And then, uh, whether or not that determines whether or not you can invest in it. Again, it's sort of open to interpretation right now. They've yet to issue more clarification, which I'm sure they will have questions on soon. Um, but this very recently, they just changed the status on that. So yes, you do have to be accredited, although that status may change soon. With cryptocurrency, and the thing that I hate about traditional finance is that you have to be accredited. Cryptocurrency, you could be anyone in the world. Now, there's a reason for being accredited investors to protect investors and all that jazz. But cryptocurrency's thing is that no matter your wealth, no matter your situation in life, you have access as much as the richest person in the world to this financial market. You know, you could invest a penny in the crypto market, but you're still able to. Whereas with traditional markets, you must be a rich accredited investor already to be able to even consider investing in that market. Uh, cryptocurrency is open to everyone. Everyone in the world with an internet connection can, you know, get into this, this system. And because of that, um, I immediately favor the uh, option where you make a decentralized system and you have investors that way, meaning you create a cryptocurrency. Oh, sorry. So a, a hedge fund will, a cryptocurrency hedge fund will often create a cryptocurrency. And then anyone in the world can just buy that cryptocurrency and subsequently invest in the hedge fund. The problem with that is uh, being, we're domiciled in the USA, uh, in Delaware. Problem with that is USA does not allow, and they're one of the only countries that does not allow non-accredited investors to invest in that sort of financial vehicle. Uh, huh. So we're limited because we're in the USA right now. So uh, let me get this right and correct me if I'm wrong here. This is what I understood. And I knew this from the get-go as well. To invest in hedge funds in general or private equity, you have to be a high net worth individual, HNW, and or accredited investor. And usually being an accredited investor goes hand in hand with having a lot of money at hand, like a million dollars of net worth or $200,000 a year in salaries. But they're changing that for information, but they haven't changed it yet. So I, what that means is that you still have to be an accredited investor to invest in, the, in, invest in these yeah. hedge funds and private equity for the most part. But... What I understood there is that for cryptocurrency hedge funds, it's different. So anyone can invest in cryptocurrency hedge funds, right? Or, uh... Yes yes, and no. Most cryptocurrency hedge funds, or sorry, some cryptocurrency hedge funds will create their own crypto token. And the value of that token is tied directly to the net asset value of the hedge fund, basically just what the hedge fund's worth. Uh, however, not every hedge fund goes that route. Uh, we didn't. So we're only open to accredited investors. Uh, however, it's sort of unique nuance that some cryptocurrency funds could be open to, you know, Schmojo down the street. Uh, ours specifically, though, although we are looking to move to the decentralized model where anyone can invest, right now we are only open to accredited investors. But does that mean only hedge funds? Does that mean that for those, the, the, the companies that have the decentralized models, are those hedge funds as well? Yep, they're hedge funds. It's just a nuance of cryptocurrency that anyone in the world can invest with those hedge funds. 
Oh. So finally, investors who were not considered accredited by the USC by the SEC standards can invest in products that they didn't have accessibility to before, and oftentimes some of the best performing products. Um, and finally, those are allowed to uh, to you know Schmojo investor. Mm -hmm. And uh, for your company, and just to clarify for the listeners as well, so for Gumbo LLC right now, only accredited investors can invest in it, right? Yep, only accredited investors. So uh, you know, net worth a million dollars, um, and that that uh, you know that cap threshold, uh, and that only applies to U.S. residents, of course. Offshore residents can pretty much do whatever they want. <laughs> the U.S. the U.S. doesn't really care about uh, anyone outside their purview. Uh huh. So any offshore resident, if they were to invest in Gumbo LLC, they could do so, and they wouldn't have to be accredited. Yep, they wouldn't have to be accredited. They just can't be a resident of the United States. U.S. is a very finicky system, and once you start uh -huh. analyzing it, you start to question a lot of the little practices they go through. Yep, you're asking me. I've, I've, I've actually been reading up on that sort of stuff myself. I was reading up on capital gains tax. I digress, but I'm getting to a point. Mm. And that's when I also started reading up on these, these, these small SEC practices about how you have to be a U.S. resident to do this, but if you're not, you can do much more stuff and stuff like that. It's, it's interesting. And some of those yeah. things don't even make sense, but they're <laughs> in place, you know? Um, Here's the question that I have moving forward, and then we're going to start talking more about cryptocurrency exclusively. This one's about the Gumbo LLC and your work with uh, the hedge fund. So here's the thing, right? With COVID struck in March, right? And I remember when I was talking to you earlier as well, there were, there were these bigger crypto hedge funds that actually went bankrupt, but you guys were able to keep afloat and survive. So how did you go about surviving this big hit to the financial markets when hedge funds bigger than you been went bankrupt or they were struggling? So what was your tactic there, A? And B, what's your value proposition? So there are other crypto hedge funds out there as well, right? So when you're reaching out to consumers and clients, what do you say, hey, why should you invest in me as opposed to proposition different you know so that's a two-part question why don't we talk tackle COVID first so when COVID struck what changed how did yeah. you, how were you guys able to survive yeah so COVID happened and uh I have to say I I didn't I didn't really even notice <laughs> the best part uh -huh. now other crypto hedge funds were closing at this time and that basically comes down to the bias of now this would happen with any market so we'll we'll talk about hedge funds in general not specifically crypto hedge funds for the purpose of this analogy the way I see the current crypt, uh, hedge fund space, cryptocurrency or otherwise, is essentially a bunch of skilled uh, gamblers. They're trying to predict whether or not what they're investing in will go up or down in value over the course of whatever time period they designate. The problem with COVID was that nobody was expecting things to just crash completely to the floor. It was sudden, it was random, it was surprising to a lot of people. And so hedge funds with short positions, long positions, uh, got auto liquidated, we'll call it, you know, where they essentially, their uh, short position or their long position was uh, rendered, uh, the contract for it was rendered, uh, the, the terms were met, so they got liquidated. Their entire positions were erased. So you had funds losing 75% of their holdings. In, and, and I mean, literally, like, like in the blink of an eye, they were losing these, uh, they were losing these holdings, right? And it was literally within, a, I think, a week that crypto or Bitcoin crashed 50% during March. And it was our best month ever. And the reason it was our best month ever is because crypto crash or Bitcoin crashed 
around uh, 70% of its or 60% of its peak Bitcoin crashed, right? And that was in USD. However, one Bitcoin was still worth one Bitcoin because the market around Bitcoin is based on Bitcoin. So our altcoin positions, uh, which is anything other than Bitcoin, essentially, our altcoin positions uh, did very well compared to Bitcoin. So altcoin being other cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, other cryptocurrencies, altcoin, anything other than Bitcoin, basically. Uh, we were able to make tons of uh, uh, profitable uh, trades on these positions because we've based their relevancy on Bitcoin's value to these positions, which are based on Bitcoin, much like stocks are based on the US dollar. And just like the dollar didn't technically crash, its value didn't technically change, it was still worth $1. The constituents around this market, the dollar, do change. And uh-huh. in my industry, it's the constituents surrounding Bitcoin that do change in value. So during the COVID crash, the way we, my fund fund uh, trades, which is different than other funds, is basing on this fundamental principle that cryptocurrency is first, ignoring USD. Again, we focus on USD, right? It's always good to get more cash, but we do it by ignoring USD. It's sort of a hindrance to be focused and tied to this dollar, you know, uh, uh, structure. So when everything crashed near 60%. Our USD was down 60%, uh, you know, at some points in line with the market, but our, the rest of it was doing amazing. We were making uh, trades, our Bitcoin was soaring, and everything was going, you know, pretty well, purely because relevancy, how you view this market. Think of it like trading within the S&P 500 only. You don't touch cash. You're trading one stock that goes up in value, and you're selling it for more of another stock. And then the market continues to go up, but you have more of the market. Uh-huh. Basically the same exact volume. That's basically the, the, the value proposition Gumbo has. The more of the market we can collect now before the market increases in value extraordinarily, you know, extraordinarily uh, the better we are. And so we completely ignore volatility. Downside, upside, USD could be up 100. It could be up 1,000%. The USD could be down 50%. It doesn't matter. We don't focus on that. We ignore it. And we just let the market do what it's going to do because we do not decide the market. The market always decides us, as we discussed earlier. So a couple of things there, right? So we went from the answer to the first question about how you survived COVID to essentially we segued into the value proposition for why Gumbo LLC is different from other hedge funds. Um, a couple of things there. So um, let's talk about the first part, Leo, response to the first, uh, first part about how you guys survived COVID first, uh, to clarify to the listeners as well, because some of them might have lost track of what we we're talking about there, because a lot of them also invest in equities and fixed income. So the way you guys survived COVID was that essentially, you guys did even better when the crash happened instead of doing worse, yeah. because everything apart from Bitcoin start was doing better. Is that right? Basically, uh, although Bitcoin fell in value, its constituents uh, on large did not fall as far. And so and our Bitcoin holdings increased until Bitcoin itself increased in value. Uh, so, and as okay. everyone, yeah. And as everyone has seen, the market has had an incredible recovery, all time highs with the S&P, uh, NASDAQ and all that jazz. And then Bitcoin is also uh, uh, had a strong recovery from about 4,000 all the way up to uh, 12,000. And even in terms of its value, in terms of the U.S. dollar, it's gone back up from three thousand dollars to what, like eleven thousand, in the space of a few months as well. In, so even yeah. if you look at it from that metric, it's doing very well. Yeah, some people. I mean, uh, we'll have investors up three hundred percent 
because they invested at the right time. A week earlier or a week later, they might be up only, you know, 100%, a stark difference purely because of the time they invested by weeks, not by months or years, but by mere weeks. Um, and so, yeah, so, uh, you know, COVID was a very impactful thing for the crypto industry because investing a week earlier or later could lead to hugely different profit margins for some people. And you guys invested apparently at the right time. So you we, did yes. better when COVID hit as opposed to struggling like, like other firms. And then we segued into your value proposition as well. Now, this is where it got a little confusing for me as well, I'm going to be honest. So the value proposition, based on what I understood, and correct me here if I'm wrong, and for the listeners as well, is that the reason for a Gumbo LLC is different and why it is different is because you're not, you don't care about the US value of the Bitcoin. Is that, is, is, am I right? Or cryptocurrency exactly. in particular? Exactly. Through ignoring the USD value of these assets, we're able to focus solely on acquiring more of the assets themselves. So more again, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, exactly. Or cryptocurrency. Uh, exactly. So by ignoring the USD, we're able to make trades relative only to the value of these assets relative to the asset we want most, which is Bitcoin, which we believe will go up in USD value more than other assets over the next, you know, uh, five, 10 years. Uh, so the goal is just to compile and hoard as much of it as we possibly can through, ironically, ignoring its USD value. Because sometimes the best deal on Bitcoin is when it crashes 50%. And maybe an altcoin crashed 40%, but suddenly that altcoin's worth 10% more than Bitcoin. And so it's a profitable trade for us looking long term. It's a very relativistic thing. It's very a uh, visual thing for sure. And it definitely goes against fundamental and technical uh, indicators. Gosh, does it go against technical indicators? Me and you were talking about sharp ratios yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Our sharp ratio is, we, we are risk neutral, which means we don't record our sharp ratio. But if we were to record it, it would probably be scary to a lot of people. <laughs> but its relevancy is different. Our sharp uh -huh. ratio is not reflective of our thesis or our strategy or our performance. It's merely reflective of certain statistics. So uh, relativity in the market is a huge thing people ignore and don't know about yet um, that they that they should be definitely be informed about, uh, crypto or otherwise, for sure. Yep. And a couple of things there as well before we move forward to clarify. It's because of your value proposition that you ignore all of the other variables like the US dollar denomination or the valuation of the Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that you're able to focus more on acquiring more of the asset itself, which is going to be worth more in the long run, like Bitcoin or other the right kinds of cryptocurrency. And we're going to get to that in a minute as well. Whereas I'm guessing that other hedge funds and other crypto trusts don't focus on that. They might focus on getting Bitcoin and then selling or buying based on the US dollar's valuation of that cur of the, the cryptocurrency. Exactly, and, and very briefly, there, there was a, uh, there was a uh, as an example, a general example, a cryptocurrency hedge fund typically might make, let's say it's a really good year for cryptocurrency and they happen to get 25% gains, right? 25% gains, excellent, right? For a year, perfect, wonderful. But if the crypto market went up 300% and you only went up 25%, you're going to, if you're an investor in that hedge fund, you might be happy you made 25%. The problem is these crypto hedge funds are then going around, turning around and saying, uh, we made you 25%, you know, pay us our fee because they're basing it on the S&P 500. If you look at the crypto market, they underperformed by 275%. Gumbo's job 
is to capture that 300%. If the market goes up 300%, you better believe Gumbo went up 300% also. If the market crashes 50%, maybe we crash 50%, but we'll be a better in a better position than the other guy for when it rebounds. Um, again, how, how does Gumbo then make money if you never liquidate your assets? Because at the end of the day, when your investors investing in Gumbo LLC, what if they want US dollars in this? I guess we're in the cryptocurrency space now, so we've moved past the, uh, the hedge fund and Gumbo LLC and all of that stuff. We're talking about cryptocurrency specifically. Um, when investors invest in in, 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 in Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, if I want to go to the grocery store, if I want to buy a car and in my, in, in the U S in particular, people still use the U S dollar. So how do you, how do I convert the U S dollar to Bitcoin? And then what if I want the U S dollar again? And if they're investing in Gumbo LLC and you said you focus more on acquiring the asset itself, right? So yeah. how do you actually benefit from that? How do you, because at the, and at the end of the day, you have to make money, right? And your investors, so how do you benefit from that? Of course. So uh, long term, again, uh, we see that the intrinsic value in this market, like the S&P 500, it'd be better to have more shares of the S&P 500 every year than more, uh, you know, than just one investment at the beginning. Right. You know, you want more of this base so that because you believe the base will always increase in value long term, it makes sense to just have more of it rationally. So for our investors, whether or not they're looking for uh cryptocurrency, which some of them are purely just looking for cryptocurrency or looking for USD, a long-term perspective with cryptocurrency is sort of the precursor to that regardless. Um, in regards to how we make our fees, so Gumbo is a unique fee model. It's also part of our value proposition. Excuse me. Um, so our fee model is a bit unique to the industry in general. Typically, hedge funds have a two and 20 model. This means they will charge 2% per year of the total assets the fund has. So if the fund has a billion dollars, they're charging 2% of that $1 billion. And then 20% of the performance. So if the S&P, well, we'll just say if the fund goes up 20%, they get 20% of what they earned by going up that amount. Gumbo works a little bit differently. We're more of a uh, trading firm. So when we make a trade, we always make a trade for a positive Bitcoin amount, meaning we have more Bitcoin than we started with. So let's take the end of the scenario. An investor gives us 100 Bitcoin. They give it to us. We make a trade, and that trade earns 10 Bitcoin. Now the investor has 110 Bitcoin. We take 35% of what we earned. So uh, the investor now has you know, uh, uh, 106.5 Bitcoin, and we keep the other 35%. So they keep their base plus some. We only take a pure performance fee, which for hedge funds in general is pretty rare. You know, in general, to have a zero performance fee fund, we purely charge on what, or sorry, a zero uh, uh, operating fee fund is very uh -huh. rare. A pure performance-based fund is almost unheard of in the industry. So that alone gives us a universal across-borders benefit. And you have a pure performance-based fund, right? So you're saying, hey... We're only going to charge you if you perform well and multiply your income. But if you don't, then you don't have to pay us. Exactly. And we do it on a per trade basis. So if that's it's another value. Exactly. If it's a profitable trade, then we take a fee only on the profits of that trade, which means you end up with more than you started with unaffected by our fee. Uh -huh. And then, you know, subsequently, if uh, if we have a losing trade, we want to try to compensate that per our fee period before we uh, 
before we take any profit on other trades. So say we have a one winning trade, one losing trade for the same amount, we will collect zero fee because we're offsetting the two costs for the investor. We're very yep. investor forward. We're trying to create a product that investors would make themselves essentially. Now, uh, moving on, Nolan, and I, uh, I think that's a great description of, of your value proposition, A. And uh, B, we also talked about how uh, Gumbo LLC actually, how do you make value for the investors? You focus more on buying more of the asset itself. We talked about the value proposition and other stuff along those lines as well. Now, I also want to quickly touch upon some of the arguments that we get against cryptocurrency, especially from some of the greatest investors, Warren Buffett, um, Ray Dalio. Uh, Mark Cuban, stuff like that, and what your response as, as specifically even just a cryptocurrency manager would be, because I know that you uh, completely and uh, sincerely believe in the value that cryptocurrency brings about with itself. So uh, uh, tell me this, right? Uh, one of the biggest arguments that I hear about cryptocurrency is that it doesn't meet the test of currency because there's three things. It has to be a medium of exchange and it has to be a it has to be a, a, a storehold of value. So if I'm investing in gold, that's a storehold of value. And it doesn't, it, it can't be volatile because when it's volatile, then it's going to go up to 13,000 one day and then back down to 1,000 the other. I'm going to lose value. It's actually the same thing. So what's your argument against that? Because people say that because it doesn't meet the test of currency, it's not really a currency and you shouldn't invest in it. It's like a gamble. So what do you say to that? Yeah. So, uh, cryptocurrencies volatility is probably its number one reason why people disbarred as a cryptocurrency or sorry as a, a formal currency and i typically agree i think the term cryptocurrency is slightly misleading i think people misunderstand exactly what's being said because they don't have enough uh, uh, insight into the industry itself so a cryptocurrency uh, is really just something that translates a monetary value to something else. Now, whether that monetary value is meant to be USD is irrelevant. The fact that it's a cryptocurrency gives its different uh, different communication abilities. You know, you can send it much more easily. You can receive it much more easily. Whether or not it's a digital dollar, or sorry, a cryptographic dollar, or Bitcoin, the difference is merely how it's transacted, not necessarily its intrinsic value. So, Bitcoin itself. Um, you know, it's extremely cheap to transact. It's quick. Uh, it's pretty easy. And a Bitcoin can be broken down to 100 million parts. So, you know, you can buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin and then send that to somebody for basically nothing. Uh, and the way that that's a store of value is it's an incredible medium of exchange. In fact, it's probably the best medium of exchange. The problem is then it's volatility. So, you know, you can tra transact cheaper and quicker than a dollar. And so it's sort of a better form of a dollar. It doesn't need to be physical, but the volatility is where it then falls out of the currency model. The other two criteria, I feel it meets very well. The problem then is the, you know, it's not a store of value. It's not, you know, you invest in a Bitcoin and then suddenly the, tomorrow it's worth uh, double. And then the next day it's worth half as much. Mm -hmm. And it really is that, you know, it's that volatile. It's every other week, it's something like that. And so I think it just has to do with how early it is. You know, I don't think Bitcoin will ever be cash. I think it's always going to be like gold, a bit more volatile, much more volatile than cash, and also a much different and interesting store of value. Gold can still go down in a given year. You know, it's a great store of value, but it, it might be a bad year for gold. But the point is long term, is gold going to be a good investment? That's what people should think about with Bitcoin. Currently, extraordinarily volatile. 
we can attribute that to small markets, uh, market manipulation, the immaturity of the market, again, 11 years old, you know, gold was probably just as volatile back in 800 AD, you know, when they were starting to trade it, you know, the value of gold could have been very volatile. Nobody would have known. We couldn't record those things. Um, but, you know, it's just a smaller market. It's worth about, uh, Bitcoin itself is worth maybe 200 billion and the market itself is worth 300 billion. Gold's worth 7 trillion. And gold's still fairly volatile year after year compared to a dollar, right? If we consider gold, uh, Bitcoin as gold and it, compare the two market caps, you know, 200 billion versus like 7 trillion for gold, you can't be surprised that its volatility is much greater than gold. There's a lot less people who have to exchange a lot less currency or, or value to make the price move. Whereas gold is a long hundred thousand year established institution with trillions of dollars behind it and still fairly volatile comparatively to a dollar. Bitcoin is thus uh, undergoing the same transformation. So in summation, essentially what you're saying is that the two things, right, the storeholder of value and the medium of exchange. So it's a great medium of exchange because you can just exchange it over the internet. And it's very, it's apparently meant to be very safe because it's backed by math. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. What does that mean? But you can exchange it anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if you're in the US, uh, in India, in China. You can make the transaction over Bitcoin and there's no government to even app, like, uh, ask for interest or charge you based on that transaction like across borders either. So that's a great thing. But because it's not the best storehold of value because uh, of the volatility that it brings with itself in your opinion the term cryptocurrency itself can be misleading as well you yes. think it's going to be like gold in the long run as well as opposed to replace cash altogether and that's what i was going to ask next as well you said it's never going to be cash so people that argue and I've, I've seen videos of people arguing that they see bitcoin especially when people get to mars or moon with elon musk yeah <laughs> bitcoin replacing cash altogether do you not see that happening do you not see people using Bitcoin as, as le legit like the U.S. dollar? I, I don't. And I think a lot of people, a lot of crypto enthusiasts are holding out for that. But I see Bitcoin as purely digital gold. It is meant to be when we start mining asteroids and gold's value drops to zero because we have so much of it. Bitcoin should be the digital gold. It is the you know, mathematically consensus peer run uh, defining thing that just creates a market purely based on people having mutual interests in the you know progression society is going it's essentially what bitcoin is it's a bitcoin is values determined by a consensus mechanism and that What's was going to be my next mm. question uh i apologize for cutting in you were saying I thought oh yeah so, so bitcoin's value is basically just a consensus mechanism what do people want it to be worth that's what it's worth what everyone agrees it's worth and it's the most pure form of people agreeing on something if you uh -huh. really think about it. And as soon as they disagree, the price changes. Now, of course, it's not many people arguing right now. And that's why the price changes so much. Uh, but, you know, I see the same thing there that's happening in, in, in these other markets. They don't see it ever becoming cash. It'll never be fixed. It'll always be extraordinarily volatile. And its relevancy should always be pretty volatile. Maybe in 100 or 1,000 years, Bitcoin could become cash. But in, a, you know, the next 100,000 years, it's, uh, it's probably just going to be a, a nice store of value, and we'll start seeing uh, other cryptocurrencies come to fruition.
And that, that was going to be my next question, by the way. You talked about how cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in particular is one of the purest forms of people agreeing on something having value, right? The, the One of the biggest arguments that I've heard over and over again, and this might be a trite one that you're probably even tired of answering, <laughs> but for listeners out there, uh, they say that the U.S. dollar, for example, is backed by the full faith and trust of the U.S. government. Now, what about cryptocurrency? What's that backed by? Math? I don't even know what math is. Uh, what sort of math are you talking about? You know what I mean? So exactly. that's, that's yeah. the other thing. Well, how do you respond to that? I would, I tell you this, nine, uh, 10 times out of 10, I will trust an equation over an individual. And I think most people, when they start to think about it, would agree with that. You trust a traffic light because it's timed to be green when the other one is red, right? Yeah. But in reality... Although math programmed that um, and you trust it a lot more, you trust a lot more than somebody standing in the middle of the intersection going, okay, let's go. And then you stop, you know, it's sort of a uh, Bitcoin is the traffic light in this scenario. You trust it. It's telling you to go, you go. It's green light, you go. It's a red light, you stop. You trust it, right? A bank or the current financial institutions are a physical person standing there going, okay, go, stop, you know, go, stop at an intersection. Um, and so the argument against, uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin being this, this sort of scary, unstable thing that's not backed by anything is a fallacy because we back everything purely based on trust and faith. Governments aren't stable. Governments change regularly and they fail regularly. The United States is young. It is what, 250, 60 years old? It, it is extraordinarily young and people are surprised to think that it could be ruptured because we've created so much in such a short amount of time. But what I see is a discorrelation. I see technology creating opportunities for countries and governments that wasn't there before, you know, in the 18 and 1900s. But I don't see the governments keeping up with the technology. And governments historically fail often. They fail all the time. Egypt, thousands, after thousands of years, Egypt fell. After thousands of years, Greece fell. And the Roman gods were gone, or, you know, the, the Greek gods were gone with Zeus, became a mythology. And, you know, the Egyptian gods became a mythology. Because their societies collapsed. Mayan gods, Incas, became mythology. Native Americans, because society collapsed, the governments failed. And um, it was supplanted and replaced. So to think that because America has been around for 250 years, it's going to be around for another 250 years is almost a, a fool's errand. You have no clue how long this government could be around, but the technology can last and the technology so, can adapt. Just to play the devil's advocate here, right? What should stop someone, some genius hacker from hacking into my Bitcoin account and taking all of my Bitcoin from me? How do you safeguard against that? And I think that's the big issue that, in my opinion, people have. People are afraid of what they don't know, right? Yes. The US dollar has been around forever. And plus, when you have, and we talked about this before as well, with rates like Warren Buffett and Ray Dalio or Tony Robbins saying Bitcoin is a gamble, it's not efficient, it doesn't meet the test of currency. And we, and, uh, uh, we talked about this as well, about how Warren Buffett might be saying that in part because his, one of his biggest positions are banks. But what I'm getting at is that people are afraid of what they don't know. Now, the US dollar has been around forever or other currencies have been around as well, but cryptocurrency, not so much. So how do you think 
how would you go about it? Or has the, the industry done anything to increase the people's trust in cryptocurrency? How can you make them get on board? Yeah, so the biggest thing with crypto, I mean, they, they come out with crypto debit cards. They've come out with all this stuff to get people to more used to cryptocurrency. But until it becomes more stable, I don't see a great route for mass adoption. Although they do have digital stable coins. So, you know, they have cryptocurrencies, all the benefits of cryptocurrency, but the value is tied to $1 forever. So uh. they're starting to come out with these things. But, you know, you'll see Warren Buffett, as you just mentioned, you know, largest position banks. What's Bitcoin's main goal? disrupt the banks so you assume who's not going to be its biggest fan warren buffett's probably not going to be its biggest fan he's probably not going to tell his investors to go buy it because you know they're more invested in his banks which he you know cares a lot more about um but i think that it's it's inability or sorry rather it's uh, uh immaturity is simply the reason people don't fully support it yet and i think that I fully agree with them. I think that if the market matures and proves itself, then I'll be glad to be a cryptocurrency hedge fund. <laughs> but if it fails, uh, then I will be glad, just like any market could, uh, you know, I'll be glad that I took a short position, hopefully. Uh -huh. But the main thing for investors is uh, the opportunity and the hope. So, you know, as you just said, Warren Buffett and these guys, they don't see the opportunity or rather they are telling people not to see the opportunity that this market could present. Um, and what I see in this market is simply nothing different than any other market. I see it the same as tech markets. I see it the same as, as the stock market. I see it the same as investing in Google or other companies. It's speculative, it has to be weighed, it has to be measured and you have to take your time and you got to take your consideration. I think for anyone to come up with a stern opinion on anything really, yes or no, is a fool's errand. It could always be yes or no. You never know until after, you know, the lady's sunk, right? Um, and I think that's the fallacy that, you know, you see Warren Buffett and other companies or other uh, individuals progressing is that cryptocurrency is inherently bad. Yet, you know, you'll see the same things they're complaining about. Like, for instance, uh, uh, concentration, right? Who owns the most of what? Well, there's a lot of people who own a lot of stock in individual companies. Warren Buffett owns a lot of stock in individual companies, yet they'll complain about the concentration of people who own cryptocurrency. Maybe 30% maybe of people own 80% of cryptocurrency, a Bitcoin, right? It's typical of any financial market. 1% of people own 99% of the wealth. It's actually less so in cryptocurrency, but still heavily influenced. And yet you'll see people denounce cryptocurrency because of this concentration. So it's clearly a pattern of misdirection and uh, deviance from you know normal markets cross-applying it to cryptocurrency, which they don't fully understand. And Warren Buffett's even retracted some statements and said, I don't understand cryptocurrency. Um, I don't understand how this market works. You know, I don't understand where its value is coming from. Rather, could its value be based on something entirely different? I mean, then again, was, yeah, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. But then again, Warren Buffett, I was going to say, doesn't even have emails, so he couldn't possibly understand how cryptocurrency works. <laughs> exactly. And how did he feel about Apple when he first invested? You know, he was, you know, he he was uh, negative on a lot of things. But uh, again, it's it's relative. You know, an investment in oil today would be a horrible investment 500 years from now because oil probably won't be used. You can see flying cars being a thing, or you know. Self-driving self -driving electric charge, self-charging electric cars, 
you know, you drive, they have solar panels on the roof. You don't even need gas anymore. Go anywhere for free now, basically. So let me ask you this, right? Uh, we talk about cryptocurrency, 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 but specifically the currency out of all of those that we talked about in detail was Bitcoin. We touched upon that again and again. But see, there's not just Bitcoin out there. There's thousands of currencies, not even just Bitcoin or Ethereum or Libra, some of the ones that we think about like off the top of our heads, but there's thousands of them. Now, could you guide the listeners in particular as to the, the dangers of other cryptocurrencies? I and mean, we briefly touched upon this in our conversation. A lot of them are fraud, uh, are just uh, frauds. They're fads. They're not really a real thing or they've been concocted to you know, trick uh, investors out of their money. Yeah. So what's the danger there? And how does Gumbo LLC go about, you know, um, what's the word, uh, navigating that, that danger with cryptocurrency? Yeah, with uh, dangerous cryptocurrencies, I think the best way, I think you described it perfectly there, cryptocurrencies that are trying to trick people. A lot of them are legitimate companies with legitimate goals and legitimate products. The problem is they might have all that legitimacy as a front to pump up the price of their cryptocurrency, much like stock manipulation. Uh, the thing is with cryptocurrency, it's such an early days, there's so little regulation, it's very easy to pump these prices up like stock manipulation through a fake and very appealing uh, product uh, you know, valuation and marketing campaign. And I think the best way to avoid these kinds of things is focus on something you're using. So Gumbo only invests in things it can use, touch, or not touch physically, but you know, interact with very, very one-on-one, uh, -on -one. and then see the utility of these products. We only invest in things we could see utility in through trying to use it. The problem with the cryptocurrency space is so, so many, 90% of the cryptocurrencies out there are trying to be specialized for something that may or may not happen in the future. They're trying to fit a very niche markets with very innovative products. Sure, some of them, some of them are straight up scams. Some of them are trying to fill markets with very niche products that sound attractive. Have you ever seen The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith? Yeah, absolutely. My, one of my favorite movies. I, I don't remember the name of it, but he's trying to sell that dumb machine. That basically provides a, an X-ray you know, machine. The X-ray machine. And it provides a slightly denser bone image at basically double the cost. So it's a luxury item that doesn't do much. The problem is most of these cryptocurrencies are that if they work. If people give them a lot of money, they do something incredible, but at what cost they can do it and how they can actually actually implement it is so lost on investors that I encourage them don't invest in 99% of the crypto market, 99% of the market, not worth investing in, not safe enough, not, not no, uh, no uh, limitations, not enough founding structure behind it. And then 1% of the market, I'd say, yeah, go ahead. That, that's a good product. That's something to invest in for sure. Right, that's one of my concerns as well, right? So here's the thing. When I look at equities, and that's what I'm focused on most of the time, equities, commodities, and fixed income, that's bonds. When you analyze them, when I go about analyzing them, I can go go through the 10K report, the 10Q reports. I can look at the management analysis, the, how the, the, the 10 years of history behind the company, and then I can gauge as to whether this is a, a legit company or not. I can see the news, all of that stuff. But, but in particular, I can go through the SEC filings that are usually tightly regulated. How can investors and how do you as a hedge fund manager go about analyzing 
uh, cryptocurrency because there's no 10k or 10q reports based on my experience or what i've heard so far and I, i'm not really i'm not an expert with the cryptocurrency is that, that there's only this thing called technical analysis for crypto so how do you discern between what's fraudulent and not and you just elaborate on that but how do you analyze it and uh, how can in- listeners discern between what a legit bitcoin a uh, uh, legit cryptocurrency is and what isn't instead of just staying away from 99% of the cryptocurrency you know how can they discern between them yeah so discerning between them requires a a, a level of um a, a thorough level of analysis you have to be looking at the front and the back and the front end meaning who's on the team you know who's running the company how's that going what are their publications has everything they've published so far been truthful and you know there's that's where the peer review comes out they publish a white paper typically cryptocurrency projects the white paper outlines the technical details of it and is that valid is that true are there any errors in the code which is you know publicly available uh, are there any bugs to it etc cetera, etc cetera. but the deeper analysis and that's just sort of the fundamental analysis you know of any company crypto or otherwise the deeper analysis comes into, uh, you know, can you analyze the SEC filings, the financials, the public statements, anything that you're able to see? Uh, you can typically see for a normal company that's public that you can invest in. With cryptocurrency, there are all subsequently both public and simultaneously private companies at the same time because they're cryptocurrency. You can analyze a cryptocurrency's blockchain, which is how the token and the, the cryptocurrency itself transacts. Uh, every bit of information you could imagine is on there. How much is owned? By which addresses or which wallets own it? Or individuals, basically. Who owns it? How much do they own? What price do they own it at? How many people are making money on it? How many people are losing money on it? And about every little bit of technical information you could imagine that is available to cryptocurrency investors that's not available to equity investors because there's not as much transparency with equities as there is with cryptocurrencies purely because the blockchain is public now you can find this stuff through exchanges for some equities you know the very specific minute details you can do some digging right with cryptocurrency it's right then and there you might not know who bought it but you know how much they bought and you know what price they bought it for which could help you indicate what price they might want to sell it for maybe they bought you know a lot of it so they're sort of a, a large, you know, whale for the industry. And uh, you can see that kind of very specific details. You can't see that with normal markets. And this is just through analyzing the blockchain, by the way, as the specifics of how to interact with this mark, this information, you got to look at the blockchain technology. And really quick, could you yeah. tell the listeners what the blockchain technology is? Oh, yeah. So blockchain technology is basically digital trust. It's using math to verify holdings. So, you know, banks say... We trust banks because they say that Joe Schmo has a thousand dollars, and you know the other Joe Schmo has a thousand dollars, and we trust the bank to tell us that information. Bitcoin does it with math. It says that Schmo Joe one, Schmo Joe two, both have a thousand dollars, and it's backed by math, so you know it's true. The only difference between that and a bank is that the bank has to tell you it's true, and you have to trust the bank. The difference between Bitcoin and a bank is that math tells you it's true, and you just have to believe that two plus two equals two <laughs> so yeah. it's you know it's that it's that little of an extrapolation really uh and that basically explains what blockchain is digital trust um yeah and so we see this industry uh forming around this this digital trust basically uh-huh. and that you can see is is a part in part where its value starts to come from 
Now, a really, a really quick, another question that I have, and I, I can talk to you all day. I remember the other day when I talked to you, we talked for like an hour and a half or Absolutely. even two hours, and I just, I just lost track of time. You know? Yeah, we can keep this conversation run forever. Uh, Lord, no, I talk up. about... I uh, talk about finance. We, we we talked about finance, hedge fund management, cryptocurrency. I can talk about anything and everything, and just you know go from there because there's a lot to learn there. I can ask you a thousand questions, but I do have a couple more questions, and then we're gonna call it today. I'm gonna uh, ask a finish a question after that, and that's about it. So for investors out there, right, for the high net worth accredited investors, they can just look no further than Gumbo LLC. Um, get in touch with Nolan Foster, the company, and then you can invest from there. So two things there. First of all. Uh, how can these accredited listeners and investors get in touch with Gumbo LLC and uh, you know invest with you uh, how, and you know invest with you guys? And secondly, for people that are not accredited that can't invest with Gumbo LLC, uh, can they still invest in Bitcoin? And how can they do that? So for uh, accredited investors, who is uh, all unfortunately I say all we can take at this time, uh, they can go to www.gumbo.fund. Or they can email me at nolan at gumbo.fund. Uh, and if they're interested in getting into the cryptocurrency market, uh, for individual investors who don't have access to private financial vehicles such as Gumbo uh, or pretty much every other hedge fund out there, uh, the best resource, I would say, would just be to uh, Google. Google cryptocurrency information, Google cryptocurrency facts, Google the technology. Uh, go to White Papers, I believe it's called. I don't know if it's whitepapers.com or what, but Google uh, cryptocurrency white papers and read the first publication that that company has ever produced on what they're going to uh, be offering, the technology, uh, and understand the market behind these things. Um, largely, I say, for somebody not as well-versed, just invest in Bitcoin. Don't look at anything else. <laughs> How can they invest? How can they invest? Coinbase, they, any other resource? Coinbase, you know, I have to be honest, I prefer Bittrex. I say go to Bittrex. Ignore Coinbase. Their fees are extraordinary. They charge over 1% sometimes. Bittrex, you'll get charged 0.25% per, uh, you know, purchase or trade, which is industry average. Actually, it's 0.2% now. Industry average, much less. That very small exchange fee for purchasing an asset. Uh, I say just buy Bitcoin. Don't even... Don't even buy the top 10 cryptocurrencies because, again, inflated prices, it's a volatile market. You want to be safe? I say Bitcoin's a good bet. Don't buy anything other than that. Again, it's just a, a opinion even on Bitcoin. But I will say don't buy the top 10 cryptocurrencies. Don't buy what anyone's telling you to buy because you can okay. never trust anyone because they have, an they have a vested interest in somebody purchasing their, uh, you know, their unique stock or anything like that. But if you want to get in the crypto space, Bitcoin only. Ignore everything else until you can learn about it. But Bitcoin is a great and accredited way to get into this industry. You even have Harvard or Yale looking into these assets and actually investing in them because they see the uh, the intrinsic value. The SEC is not against Bitcoin. They're just unsure about it, uh, which is a lot more than, than uh, uh, some people can say. And other governments are actually in favor of cryptocurrency. Russia is very friendly to cryptocurrency. China loves it. Um, and so, you know, Bitcoin in general is a pretty good investment to start reflecting the philosophy that the new cryptocurrency age is hoping to, uh, to bring in. And the last question that I have before we get to the finisher, which is the last question that I ask my listeners, where we get insight into, um, their outlook on life and stuff, and then we're going to call it today is, um, future of cryptocurrency and volatility, uh, 
or actually future of cryptocurrency? Where do you see it going? Um, what's Gumbo LLC's plan going forward? And uh, yeah. Future of cryptocurrency? Um, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see a, a new renaissance. And this renaissance is going to bring about a, a change in the cash in your pocket is not going to be there anymore. It's all going to be digital, everything. And there's going to be an economy built around this digital society. And we already started to see it happen. We, it's happening now. We transact entirely digitally almost. This is on Zoom. You know, we have the COVID going on. And I think that the world is going to start appreciating digital rather than physical or paper processes and instead start preferring protocol over paper. And I, start, I think we're going to start seeing that in the next uh, uh, five to 10 years really take hold and wrap this country up in its, its, uh, uh, you know, its possibilities. And what about Gumbo LLC going forward? What are your plans? What do you hope to see? How do you plan on growing for investors and all of that stuff? Yeah, so, so currently Gumbo's in its uh, first raise. We're trying to raise about $4.25 million for our first fund. We already have our second fund made, though, uh, and that one's at about, uh, we're trying to raise $30 million. It's a, more of a gold fund. So it's, it's a gold wrapped in cryptocurrency combined with wrap, uh, cash wrapped in cryptocurrency. Uh, and we introduced Bitcoin into that uh, fund. Uh, so that's coming out soon. So hopefully that will uh, just continue to see Gumbo as a defining research and voice in the crypto space, one that can be trusted and appreciated as a very practical voice in the space. You know, we're not touting that it's going to be, uh, you know, go to a million dollars tomorrow. You know, we think of it as just the next another stock to invest in another company to invest in that's exactly how we view cryptocurrency and uh you know we're going to continue that path until hopefully you know we become an institution in the space since we're so early uh you know we're so quick to the draw in cryptocurrency yep 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 makes sense i think that's a that, that's a great answer and uh, going forward clearly you look to grow your company you're looking to grow your company and reach out to as many investors as possible and with sec changing its guidelines from the definition of what accredited can mean from high net worth to how much knowledge people have that will also give you access gumbo llc Absolutely. and investors at a, as a counterparty access to more hedge funds and knowledgeable and talented people to be able to grow their wealth and create value for the world as well um uh, the last question and this is a finisher that i ask everyone toward the end of the podcast and it's, it's a very fun way of ending it as well is here, here's the question so have you watched aladdin the movie i'm hoping yes absolutely absolutely so here's the question, right? You're Aladdin. All of a sudden, uh, you, just, you go into this world with genies and stuff, and you're Aladdin. And you found the magic lamp, and the genie pops out. Now, he says he can't grant you just any wish, and this is the twist, right? But he can give you a skill, a quality, right? Some knowledge, anything, uh, in particular a skill. What one skill would you ask that genie that you believe would then allow you to achieve the most fulfilling life possible? I think it's a, I think it's a, it, it's a difficult question to answer, but I think I have an easy answer for it, uh, and that would be temperance or patience. I see Buddhist monks, and they don't want anything; they're happy. You know, their their life is fulfilled. Their goal, in fact, is to get even more fulfilled to re to reach nirvana. You know, complete satisfaction, regardless of wealth or anything else. And I think the best skill in the world. Uh, and entrepreneurs will know this more than anyone. The best and the worst thing in the world is to want everything in the world. Entrepreneurs want everything in the world. They want to make the world their oyster, as you said earlier, and uh, you know take advantage of all these things. 
So I would wish that uh, that wasn't <laughs> maybe a requirement of my, uh, you know, my mindset is to want whatever the world has to offer and to be a bit more temperate and patient and not want so much and maybe just focus on what, uh, what I have. And I think a lot of people will benefit from uh, uh, that, that skill, just being patient. And investors, of course, will always benefit from being patient uh, long term. Of course. You know, Ray Dalio said it takes in his book principles. He said any fool can make things complex, but it really takes a genius to make things simple. And I thank you, a genius, for simplifying the answer to that question. Uh, and I agree with that. The only thing I would add on top of that is to not just want everything from the world, but to give everything to it, create value for it, change lives, make an impact. And the greater the impact is, and for that, you have to be patient, right? As an entrepreneur, you're going to have setbacks and failures. Exactly. But the greater that impact is, and if you're tempered about it and calm and patient, all good things come in due time, you're going to become even more successful and change the world like Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, uh, Jeff Bezos. Guys, that's a wrap. I really appreciate it, Nolan. Thank you for coming on the show, making the time. The conversation went longer than expected, again, because I love talking to you. I enjoyed a lot. It wasn't even about the interview. It was a conversation between two guys back and forth, and I learned a ton. I haven't invested in cryptocurrency so far, but you know what? I think you convinced me. I'm going to be looking into it in more detail, asking you any questions if I have, and if, if listeners have any questions for me, for Nolan, I can reach out to them to him on your behalf or you can reach out to him as well. He talked about his email and gumboelc.fund. So you can talk to him there. I really appreciate it, Nolan. Yeah, Nolan, again, is a cryptocurrency hedge fund manager who attended the same college as me and is now an entrepreneur and an investor. He has two funds, one with up to looking to fill it up with more than $30 million, which is crazy and awesome. And you're going into the unknown. Guys, my name is Ali Khan. You can reach me, reach out to me at my FNM, uh, my, my email, akhan at fnm.edu. That's A-K-H-A-N at F-A-N-D-M dot E-D-U. You can reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is AJK737. And you can also reach out to me over Twitter or Facebook. Just type in my name and I'll have all the links for his website, Nolan's email, my own uh, email addresses and all of that stuff, all that good stuff in the description box below that's about it guys that's all the time we have for today i really appreciate it give me back any positive um, feedback uh, critiques constructive criticism that you have and we're going to go from there i also have a very special song at the end of the podcast today you can listen to it as the podcast ends and the name is also going to be in the description box below and that is a wrap